everybody. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Me and a Mike podcast. You're back here with your host, Mickey. I told y'all I was coming back with a part two to our Scream series. And here we are. We're going to talk about Scream 2. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Spooky season is almost over. So I want to make sure I try to get as many of these pumped out as possible. So we can go through the entire conversation from Scream 1 all the way to the semi-possible, maybe, Scream 5 that's going to be coming out. I guess actually in 2022. I keep hearing these... It doesn't seem like so much of a rumor anymore, but we're going to focus on the ones that are already out. So last time we were together, we talked about Scream 1, all the characters, the plots, all the stuff that went good about it, all stuff that went bad about it. And the thing that really, really made this particular movie like a, a horror genre, completely upending the horror genre. We completely changed the whole slasher game with Scream. So let's kind of see how they did with Scream 2. So let's kind of dive into what Scream 2 was all about. Let's dive into the characters, the plots, what we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, the reveal of the killer at the end of it, and again, the overall feel of this particular film in comparison to either all the rest of them or even the very first Scream that came out. So Scream 2 came out in 1997. It also was written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote the very first edition of Scream, and it was directed and produced, again, by horror genre favorite and living legend. No, no, he's no longer a living legend. Oh, and legend himself, iconic horror director Wes Craven. So again, this is kind of like in their same universe. The funny thing about Scream 2 is that Scream 1 was so popular when it came out. The more popular a movie is, the longer it stays in theaters, right? So the thing about Scream 2 is that when it came out in certain areas, Scream 1 was still playing at the theater. That's how one, close they came out together, but two, that's how popular Scream 1 was to horror audiences. So literally you could go to, at at this time in 1997, like you could literally go to the theater and see Scream 1 and Scream 2 back to back. So that again is a testament to Wes Craven and the writing of Kevin Williamson and what they did. This one came out December 12th, 1997. And it premiered on December 10th, 1997 to Hollywood. But of course it came out a couple of days later. And again, you could literally catch both of those in the same wind uh, if you really, really wanted to. So the impact that Scream 2 had on the culture was just a continuation of that same slasher that that new slasher thing but here's the thing about sequels once you upend or once you kind of change the game we already kind of know what to expect as the audience going in for the second go around right think about something like a paranormal activity paranormal activity was this that's another one that we've got to talk about on the on the podcast and on the blog as well so i'm going to probably watch the no i got to get out of the horror genre i've been watching scary movies for like the past three months back to back to back (laughs) I need to watch something else I need to watch like some I don't know romantic comedies or something to just kind of balance me out a little bit um but think about a paranormal activity right paranormal activity was um a genre completely based around like the found footage something that the Blair Witch Project made really really popular but they kind of took it to a whole different level they did a ghost story in a house it was very real it was very practical effects and everything and the first one when you look back at it the first one I don't want anybody to get mad at me when I say this, but I love Paranormal Activity, the series itself. But the first one now, when I look back at it, when it first came out, I was terrified. Now, when you look at it, it's just kind of like, okay, uh." and probably because you already know what's going to happen. But also it's because that the genre has is gone through so many ways. We've seen like, you know, even movies like Cloverfield using that same model there's comedies that kind of use that found footage model so once they, they had kind of broke the mold with it 
when we came back for the second one, you got to do things bigger and better in the second one because we already kind of know what to expect. We already kind of know the differences between this genre, um, this part of the genre and the last part of the genre, right? So again, we kind of got used to all these different aspects of the horror genre. We already knew that there was going to be one killer walking around who's semi supernatural. You can't really kill him or anything like that. So when Scream came around and completely broke the mold of the slasher film, when Scream 2 came out, now they've got to do a little bit bigger and a little bit better. So the thing that I want to kind of focus on is Randy's rules. Scream always kind of prefaces itself on the rules of the horror genre and making sure it upends those rules or just poking fun at the rules themselves. So let's kind of look at Randy's rules for Scream 2 and for sequels in general. And let's see if we actually abided by those rules with Scream 2. So the big thing that Scream kind of points itself on is the fact that it has these rules that it follows, right? It, the, the real meta message in Scream is there's like a, an algorithm. There's a, a recipe to creating a horror movie. So we want to kind of poke fun at that or just put a spotlight to those rules and how ridiculous they are or how much the genre sticks to these rules. So Randy's rules are the thing that we're going to follow whenever we look at these movies. So rule number one for sequels, the body count is always bigger. All right. So that's easy for us to count. And I'm actually gonna use the help of one of my favorite YouTubers, which I've just kind of, because I've been so like enamored with scary movies and getting behind the scenes and kind of figuring out what's the aspect of, of this scary movie versus that scary movie. I've been really, really into that. Um, I kind of came across a new YouTuber that I am like secretly obsessed with now. He probably has like 3 million like videos on his YouTube channel. In the past maybe month, I've probably watched like at least a good 80% of them. Like I will literally spend a whole day just working and watching his YouTube videos back to back to back. So his name is James A. Janice and he has a, um, he has a show, a podcast, he has a podcast as well, but he also has a YouTube show that's really just kind of completely enamored with the horror genre. And what he does is he literally counts all the people that die in every single horror movie. And when I say like the most popular horror movies, the most classic horror movies to the ones that I've literally never heard of. There's all these like weird one-offs and movies that are just terrible. They probably had a budget of like $25, but he will watch it and bless his heart. He will count every single dead body in it. So I'm going to use him as my reference point when it comes to see if rule number one is actually true when it comes to Scream 2. Definitely check out his channel. It's called Dead Meat and he does what we call the kill count. And that's literally what he does. He'll watch a scary movie and he'll literally just count all the dead bodies and he actually rates the kills, which is completely fabulous. So if you've never heard of him before, definitely check out his channel. I'm gonna put the link to his channel in the description box underneath this video or underneath this podcast. So number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate with more blood and gore. So before we get into it, just kind of like recapping on the movie itself, I, I'd kind of say, if, if I had to like put a thumbs up, thumbs down, I would probably put my thumb in the middle for Scream 2 on this particular one. I don't really think that the death scenes are that much more elaborate. They kind of try to stick to like the whole, you know, guy with a knife thing. And there's only so much that you can do with a knife. They tried to add some some other stuff into it. I think the, okay, I, I guess it, it could be considered a little bit more elaborate. Not necessarily to me with more blood and gore though. I mean, a stab is a stab is a stab is a stab. So it is what it is. And then rule number three, 
well he kind of starts to describe the third rule but he says if you want your films to become a successful horror franchise never ever and then that's it we literally never get that part of the rule there's another scene where they're in film class and they're talking about like the great sequels of the past and usually that the sequel is never better than the original i will argue with you so here's my things that i'm going to throw up they threw up a couple of sequels that were better they definitely included like the godfather 2 um they talked about aliens the second one being better than the first one so i'm going to give you some of mine that were a little bit better you tell me what you think um i always thought I think the first one always sets the tone, especially when you have like a, a movie like Scream, right? That breaks the genre. But I really thought that the second paranormal activity was much better than the first. And I thought that pretty much almost immediately. Like as soon as the second one came out, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like this was so much better than the first one. I liked the first one when it came out. I actually like it less now. <laughs> again because i think i'm more desensitized to it and it's a very subtle movie it's a very long very slow very slow burn of a movie and i, I like all the paranormal activities are really in my opinion kind of slow burns there are some like later on in the series that kind of pick up like four five and six like really pick up the the, the pace um, but I actually like the second one and, and the third one much, much better than the first one. So I'm going to say Paranormal Activity is one of my sequels that I found much better than original. Um, Saw. Now, here's the thing about Saw. Saw, again, was another kind of like groundbreaker. It completely changed the game when it came out. Not completely, completely, but it have enough of a difference in the horror genre to make it like, oh, this is something new. This is something different. But then Saw kind of turned itself into... Kind of like how Hostel and, and Final Destination were, where there was just kind of like torture porn, which you can definitely tell the difference when Lee Winnell walked away. You can absolutely tell the difference in the writing, the tone, the plot, the characters. Things just don't even make sense sometimes after the fourth one. But I, I, I would definitely say that looking back at it, and we recently rewatched all the Saw movies except Saw 3D. And then we watched um, Jigsaw. So we literally like completely went back to that genre. And I, I mean, I would say that the second one is better. And this is the only reason why. Because again, the first one is a very slow burn. It's a slow burn that gives you a very satisfying twist and conclusion at the end of it. But because there's just so much, there's so much of that same part of it. And you still get a good twist in two. So that's the, the thing I liked about two was that there was there was something like every five minutes to look at on the screen but you still got that huge twist that you weren't expecting at the end of it so i like saw two a little bit better just just a teeny bit better than i like saw one but it's still one of those classic original horror ground baking groundbreaking films um the hunger games yeah i know it's not a horror movie but it's a dystopian and it feels like the hunger games is about to start happening in real life so i'm gonna call it a horror movie <laughs> but the hunger games yeah yeah, I'm going to say that the second one was better than the first one. Even in the books. I love the books. I was one of those people that actually read the books before the movies, way before the movies came out. And I actually had to reread the books before the movies came out to, to make sure I knew exactly what to complain about when I was watching it in the theater. But if we're talking about 
actually just just the whole thing the book versus the movie the second one was much better than the first one and not to say that the first one was bad it was great but it was just a lot more it, it was just a lot more stuff going on in the second one the wheels were turning you were in the middle of the story if the entire series was one movie act two always usually has all the action all the conflict and everything to it so that was the second book that was definitely the hunger games to me sequel much better than the original um i would say some worse sequels and this is going to be a mix of horror and non-horror i would definitely say that i know what you did last summer that i still know what you did last summer it was just 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 awful oh just awful i was never really too much of a fan of i know what you did last summer anyway but the I still know and I will always know and I'll forever know and no one is forever. Whatever all the sequels are named. They're just trash. Just, just utter, just garbage. Just bullshit. Oh, just bullshit to the absolute max. So I know what you did last summer. Definitely a, a worse sequel than the original. Um, Non-horror. The Mummy. I, and I'm, I'm literally, I'm putting that on my list like right now because I'm looking at like this stack of DVDs that I'm just watching in my office. And I'm looking at the mummy because I, I think I was about to put that in my DVD player. The second one, worse than the first one. And it was one of those things where the first one was just kind of like a different type of movie than we were used to seeing. Um, but the second one, we kind of knew what to expect. And they just took the plot in just like stupid directions. So the sequels, all of the other sequels, even I love me some Jackie Chan, but the not Jackie Chan. Was it Jet Li? Jet Li. I love me some Jet Li, but the, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Nah, y'all could have kept that. You, you absolutely could have kept that. So let's kind of see if we stick to Randy's rules. So the first thing I want to talk about is the actual plot itself. So let's get into it. Windsor College seniors Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens attend a sneak preview of Stab, a film based on the events of the first film. So literally in the universe of Scream itself, they are watching a movie called Stab, which is pretty much their version of Scream. So imagine if somebody made a real a think of like the amityville horror right those were events that supposedly happened and now we have movies based on it that's pretty much what stab is for them a movie based on that i'm using air quotes real life account of the woodsboro murders that sydney and her friends went through in the first screen so does that make sense it was a movie inside of a movie so anyway they attend a sneak preview of stab a film based on the events of the first film during the movie phil uses the restroom and is killed by ghostface Ghostface enters into the screening and sits beside Maureen, who thinks that Phil is trying to scare her before finding blood on his cloak. Ghostface fatally stabs her, which the audience mistakes for a publicity stunt until Maureen falls dead in front of the movie screen. The following day, the news media, including local journalist Debbie Salt, descends on Windsor College where Sydney Prescott studies alongside her best friend, Hallie McDaniel, her new boyfriend, Derek Feldman, fellow Woodsboro survivor, Randy Meeks, and Derek's best friend, Mickey Altieri. Two other Woodsboro survivors arrive at campus, police officer Dewey Riley to help Sydney and reporter Gail Weathers to cover the case. Gail tries to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary, who is attempting to gain fame from his exoneration for the murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. After Gail forcibly confronts Sydney with Cotton, Sydney angrily hits Gail for the second time first one she got punched in the face second one she literally got open-handed bitch slap like I, I almost wish somebody was there to just pour baby powder all on Sydney's hand and just give her a wah -wah. <laughs> Gail Dewey and Randy excuse me later that evening Sydney goes to a party uh with Haley at a sorority house 
Ghostface murders student C.C. Cooper after all the partygoers leave. Ghostface crashes the party and attacks Sydney, though Derek intervenes. Ghostface injures Derek but flees when the police arrive. Later, after realizing that Cece's real name is Casey, Gail theorizes that the new Ghostface is targeting students that have the same name as the Woodsboro murder victims. So when you think about the Maureen Evans, Maureen Evans, Maureen Prescott. When you think about Phil Stevens, Steve was the name of Drew Barrymore's boyfriend in the very first scream. And then Drew Barrymore's character, Casey, was in the first scream as well. So again, we've got a Maureen, we've got a Phil Stevens, Steve, and then we've got um, a Cece, AKA Casey. So we've got somebody pretty much like patterning, pattering the murderers after the very first uh, Woodsboro murder uh, incident. Gail, Dewey, and Randy are talking on campus lawn when Ghostface calls, hinting that he's watching them. Gail and Dewey decide to search for him while Randy keeps him talking on the phone. As Gail and Dewey are looking around campus, Ghostface drags Randy into Gail's broadcast van and murders him. As night falls, Dewey and Gail review the tape of Ghostface killing Randy. The killer attacks them, stabbing Dewey while Gail escapes. Two officers drive Sydney and Hallie to a local police station, but Ghostface murders them. In the ensuing struggle, Ghostface is knocked unconscious, but soon revives and kills Hallie, prompting Sydney to flee. Lord, she lost her best friend. This particular scene kind of like irritated the crap out of me because there was literally a, a, a point where Sydney was about to pull off the mask like twice and she just did just oh just irritated the crap out of me uh back at the campus sydney finds derek in the auditorium tied to a cross sydney begins to untie him when ghostface arrives the killer reveals himself to be mickey and shoots derek killing him mickey tells sydney that he intends to kill her and allow himself to be arrested so he can blame violence in the movies for the murder at the trial and be acquitted on the grounds of insanity with the help of Alan Dershowitz or Johnny Cochran as his defense attorney. I actually don't remember him saying that. I don't remember him saying that. I wonder if some, cause this, I am reading this straight off of Wikipedia. I wonder if somebody just added this. This literally just makes me want to watch. I literally watched this movie two days ago because I knew I was going to film this and I wanted it fresh in my mind. I don't remember them mentioning Alan Dershowitz or Johnny Cochran. I think somebody from Wikipedia just added that. I'll put a note in the description box if I find that in the actual movie itself. He then introduces Debbie Salt as his accomplice, whom Sydney recognizes as Mrs. Loomis, the mother of Billy Loomis, who's seeking revenge against Sydney for killing her son. Remember, Billy was the killer in the very first scream, which was Sydney's boyfriend. Mickey explains that Mrs. Loomis paid for Mickey's tuition fee in exchange for his killings. Mrs. Loomis then betrays Mickey and shoots him. Before Mickey collapses, he shoots Gail, causing her to fall off the stage. Sydney and Mrs. Loomis fight until Cotton intervenes and Mrs. Loomis holds a knife to Sydney's throat. When Mrs. Loomis attempts to persuade Cotton to let her kill Sydney, Cotton shoots Mrs. Loomis in the chest. As they debate whether or not Mrs. Loomis is really dead, they find Gail still alive. Mickey suddenly resurfaces and attacks the group, to which Gail and Sydney respond by violently shooting him to death. Sydney turns to Mrs. Loomis and shoots her in the head to ensure that she's dead. The illustrious double tap. I love Sydney Prescott. When the police arrive the next morning, Dewey is revealed to still be alive and Gail climbs to the ambulance with him rather than taking the opportunity to the report to report to the cameras on the murders, showing that by the end of the movie, she cared more for Dewey than for the notoriety she always sought. 
Sidney instructs the press to direct questions to Cotton, rewarding him with the fame that he has been chasing while removing the attention from herself as she leaves the university campus. And scene. So that was Scream 2. Pretty much all the highs, lows, the plots. So let's dive into it and figure out, is this something that really kind of impacted the genre even more? Is this sequel better than the first? Ah. Let's talk about the characters first. So of course, we've got the, the remaining, the main characters that come back. We've got David Arquette as Dewey Riley. This time, Dewey actually has a very noticeable physical uh, ailment because he was stabbed. That's the thing about Dewey. Like at this point, like every time you see him on screen, he's just getting stabbed. You think he's gone, but nope. At the end of the movie, they're going to wheel him out on some gurney or something. So David Arquette is Dewey Riley. He gets stabbed. He's still kind of like in the police world. He's kind of like a private eye, sort of. He doesn't wear a uniform at all in this particular movie. Uh, he's still one of the most inept detectives <laughs> in the world. I don't know why anybody would hire him to be a detective, a private eye, or a police officer, but he tries. He does try. And my God, my baby's got heart, honey. Um, Nev Campbell, of course, returns to Sydney Prescott. And I love the the character development that Sydney has. She's not, you know, she's already a final girl in the first scream. And from this one, I felt like it was almost like a natural progression of who she is. So in the very first scene that we see her again back at Windsor College, somebody calls her on the phone and tries the whole, what's your favorite scary movie? And at this point, she's literally got caller ID. She's like timing it. She's like tracing calls. She's like quoting back harassment statutes in the U.S., like penal code like she knows what's going on <laughs> so she's not having it you know she's telling pe her uh, her roommate is like you know should we change your phone number again so she's really kind of up on it so I do like her natural progression um as a as a still a final girl um but again just the fact that she's smarter than all of her predecessors in any other uh part of the horror genre Courtney Cox comes back as Gail Weathers and Gail is even more ruthless than she was before but she has a complete like character arc as well which I, I do kind of love about that I look I really do love about these films and the whole scene at the end there's a scene in the middle of it um, where her and Dewey are kind of like hooking up while they're watching like the videos to try to see if they can find the killer and I will tell you that that's kind of good writing to be able to sneak in a love story in the midst of like a horror movie where people are getting like gutted and stabbed and hung from trees and all this craziness. So they actually were able to over the course of these four films, like really like, like, like literally they, they put a love story in the middle of that. And you got and got, that was one of the things that you kind of got excited about of coming to the screen movies. It's like, what's going to happen with Dewey and Gail? Like, are they, aren't they? It was very much a Ross and Rachel type of thing before Ross and Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> with Monica though <laughs> um some notable um people in the movie as well so Jamie Kennedy came back as Randy Meeks um Lori Metcalf was Debbie Salt aka Mrs. Loomis um Sarah Michelle Geller was in this movie as Cece Cooper Elise Neal love her as Hallie McDaniel Jerry O'Connell played the boyfriend Derek Feldman Timothy Oliphant who's awesome he played Mickey Altieri Jada Pinkett Smith, yes, that Jada Pinkett Smith, um, played Maureen Evans in the first part of the movie. Leave Schreiber, so we kind of got a glimpse of Cotton Weary in the very first one. They definitely mentioned him a little bit, especially when Sydney punched Gale. Um, but he actually like appears in the movie. So Leave Schreiber, aka uh, 
never mind my boyfriend listens to this uh leaf schreiber is in this movie love you baby um as cotton weary um lewis arquette is going to be uh, chief hartley Dwayne martin who is hilarious in this movie because he is the person that i would be if all this stuff was happening like so he's uh joel jones he's gail's new cameraman because of course her old one got his throat slashed and literally like everything that he says and does is exactly what i would do except he came back at the end mickey not coming back at the end of this um there's like a notable line in the movie he was like look look i'm about one verb away from walking away from you motherfuckers your last <laughs> your last cameraman he ain't here no more he got gutted she was like no nah, he didn't get gutted i made that up he got a throat slash like, whatever the fuck he ain't in the union no more <laughs> i ain't trying to meet that same fate like when i say i was with him i was with Dwayne the whole movie rebecca uh, this is just kind of like notable people in it so she doesn't really do anything but one of the sorority girls is rebecca gayhart which of course she ended up blowing up um i haven't heard so much from her lately but she ended up like being in a part of her own slasher um series and all that other stuff so she actually is in this movie portia de rossi is in this movie as well and it says as murphy i don't know who that i'm gonna have to look at the movie again it's probably one of the sorority girls um omar epps is in the movie he's actually jada pinkett smith's boyfriend um they're at the very beginning of the movie tori spelling this is so 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 funny so another kind of like meta this is the reason why scream is kind of like entertaining because it makes fun of itself as well in the very first scream sydney mentions like oh if they made a movie about our lives like i'd probably get somebody like tori spelling or something that would play me and then when they have stab the movie about scream story spelling plays sydney prescott which is i just thought it was hilarious luke wilson is also in the movie stab um of course we know exactly who luke wilson is he plays billy loomis in stab um heather graham plays casey becker and i'm gonna I, i'm definitely gonna google this to see if i'm right but i got a i got a, a bet going on right now y'all want you to tell me the person that plays Casey Becker in Stab. So when you're watching the movie Stab, when they're in the theater, when Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps are in the actual theater, and you see that character in the movie, blonde with the bob haircut that's getting in the shower, then she gets out of the shower, then she gets killed. Is that Deputy Judy? Deputy Judy's in a later Scream movie. Is she Deputy Judy? Is, he is that Heather Graham? Is it the same person? Because if that is, if that I, I swear as soon as i saw it and i rewatched scream 4 i'm like wait a minute <laughs> is this like another like pointed at the screen kind of thing that is heather graham is that not her is that not her is that not her playing casey becker in stab one and also deputy judy in real life is that not her we got a bet going on don't worry i'm gonna google it i'm just being lazy right now i'm definitely gonna google this when i get off of this thing and i'm gonna gloat and i'm gonna get my money and somebody also owes me some popeyes because i love me some popeyes um and of course the iconic roger l jackson as the voice of Ghostface. oh it, I, at first i didn't really actually know that there was a person that played that voice i literally thought for a long time when i was younger that they just had like an actual voice like a voiceover machine i remember like when screen came out and it was really big wasn't there like something you could buy like you could buy a voice changer i feel like those like became really popular they were probably already out but like spy shops were like selling them left and right like crazy because of the whole screen movie 
I feel like that was a real thing. Let me know if that was a real thing or if I'm just making up something. This, if this is the Mandela effect just kind of taking over my brain. But those are the characters that we have um, in Scream 2. So the thing that I liked about the characters, I liked the 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 resurgence of like the main cast. I think they had a natural kind of like character arc or progression that they went from Scream 1 to Scream 2. But I didn't like all the other people. That was the other that was the big difference between Scream 1 and Scream 2 for me. I, I feel like the characters kind of lost a little bit of their muster. It seemed like a lot of them were just there just to be there. And there was just like too many corny moments that were just ridiculous. So here's the three things that I did not like about Scream 2. One, the black representation. Now here's the funny thing about Scream. Um, again, it does kind of poke fun at itself. It's very meta, but this is where I think like the meta went like the wrong way. And of course, we're very like more woke about this stuff right now that it's 2020. So the whole first part of any screen movie, there's always like some big kill or something like that, even before you get the title card. And so this one, there's this running joke that we have in the black community, like eh, black people. That's why you don't really see a lot of black people in horror movies, um, because we either die first or we don't stick around for no bullshit. Like we are literally the Dwayne Martins, like when it comes to scare, when we see people run, we don't try to investigate. We don't need to know what's happening. If people are running, that's a place where we don't want to be. <laughs> We're going to follow the crowd. We don't need to have no conversation, ain't no negotiation, ain't none of that. I'm just running. If I see, literally see a group of people running, I'll, I'll figure it out after we stop to catch our breath. We done. We good. Now what was happening? Okay. When shit starts to go left. We get the fuck out of Dodge. You understand me? We don't stick around for nothing. So that's the, the big thing in horror movies is that black people either die first because we're not that important to the story. Either we're like token, just kind of thrown in there for like a diversity hire or something like that. Or we're just not there at all. <laughs> so they kind of point on that in Scream. But here's the thing about it. Scream 2 is arguably, not even arguably, it is the most diverse casting of all of the movies. There's four people four black people in scream two and three of them die two of them within the first five minutes but they make a point of saying that which is kind of you know what i mean it's kind of like pointing out the ridiculousness by also participating in the ridiculousness does that make sense so jada pinkett smith goes on this whole tirade about you know black uh black cinema and horror or blacks uh, depicted in horror films and how we're not represented and all this other stuff, which it seems like they would agree with because they're putting it, they're making a point to put it in their movie. Two black characters having this conversation and they still die first. <laughs> so it, it's, it's somebody asked me recently, like when we were talking about this, like, so are you offended by it? It's like, yeah, I'm not offended by it, but I, I do feel like they missed an opportunity. I felt like they pointedly brought it up and then also poignantly decided to like be a part of it at the same time if that makes sense what i would have liked to see is a lot more diverse casting maybe like in like the scream four because it was like 10 or 15 years like after the third movie um had kind of wrapped up but literally like so after we we kind of acknowledged that whole thing about you know black people in horror movies or in cinema period then like the scream three i think there was one black guy in scream three like literally one person of color i don't remember anybody else in scream three and i don't remember any in scream four i'll rewatch it today but i'm i'm pretty i don't remember any in scream four so again we kind of like we brought it all up we gave sydney a black best friend we gave gail a black cameraman just to kill them all <laughs> just 
<laughs> so we used it just to, I guess, abuse it. I don't know. So that was the one thing that I kind of hated. It. It's like, I'll bring it up, but I'm still going to do the same thing that they all do as well. The second thing that irritated the crap out of me was the killer reveal. Not necessarily who it was. Yeah, a little bit of who it was and also why it was. So here's the thing that I had the, the problem with it. I... I like the fact that Scream, again, it's a murder mystery. So you as the audience are always trying to figure out what's going on while you're watching the movie. Mickey's whole reveal, Mickey literally had maybe like four lines of dialogue in the whole movie. I felt like if you really wanted the reveal to be kind of like, ah, I mean, the characters were shocked because he, I mean, he is, he is, he is close to the main cast, but it, it was nothing like how Stu and Billy were. Like they were intertwined with the main they were all baked in together like Mickey was just there and that's the, the thing that I have about the characters in Scream 2 is that they didn't really focus on anybody except the main cast so if you really want me to like be shocked when you have the reveal like you gotta include these people and flesh these people out a little bit more um and then the motivations behind it the there were two killers in Scream 1. There's two killers in Scream 2. Motivations are wildly different. And I I, I kind of liked both. I didn't really like Mrs. Loomis's motivation because it felt kind of stupid. That was the other thing that I didn't like. The whole Mrs. Loomis thing. Because here's my thing. And Sydney kind of brings this up. But I, I think it's a point to be taken, right? They made it a point that the whole reason why Billy went, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and was murdering everybody is because his mom abandoned their entire so not only did she leave her husband she abandoned her child I'm, I'm gonna say that one more time for dramatic effect not only did she leave her husband because he had an affair but she also abandoned her child because her husband had an affair she just left her son just like ah, you figure it out just completely abandoned him and left now all of a sudden you so upset because the dude went crazy he killed a bunch of people and he got killed in return now you need to come back to to avenge his honor like you left like <laughs> you left so i mean i, I almost kind of feel like billy's um, motivation was like a little bit more grounded than the mom like you you literally just abandoned your son and now you're so upset that he's dead after he became a like a psychopath because of you you left <laughs> you left like families can get over you could have took your son with you when you you can leave your husband and take your kid like they're not mutually exclusive they're, they're not a pair of earrings you you can take one and not the other i'm just saying so that kind of irritated me the whole motivation behind mickey i thought was a lot more interesting than just the whole revenge plot that you know mrs loomis had i also thought hers was kind of weak because she was there i always suspected her and this is the reason why i always suspect her when a movie makes a point to highlight somebody that doesn't really do anything you know what i mean like think about hereditary if you've seen that movie hereditary there's a scene where um i'm trying to even remember his name peter is taking charlie so the brother is taking his little sister to the party with him they're driving down the road and as they drive down the road they pass by just a, a random telephone pole but the camera zooms in on the telephone pole. Just a very innate object, but for some reason has got all this spotlight. So as long as you pay attention in films, then you already know, like, 
something's gonna happen with this telephone pole i'm not gonna tell you what happened with the telephone pole if you never watched the movie but now if you see it you'll definitely pay attention that camera like literally stays on that telephone pole and moves in like you gonna see this pole you gonna see this pole today the whole debbie saw i don't even remember her actual name mrs loomis's character like in the movie it literally made no sense nobody there was a point i felt like there was a point to them putting so much emphasis on this one little reporter that keeps following gail around and it's always just there gail runs out of the building after dewey is stabbed what we thought was to death at the actual movie like i remember people like crying in the movie theater when dewey got stabbed in there gail runs out and she just so happens to run into mrs loomis aka debbie salt who's making a phone call like it was just so many random times where she was just around or she would say something and i'm like she's either the killer or she's got something to do with it because why is she there she serves no other purpose to the plot there's nothing that she did that was impactful in the movie before she was revealed as a killer there's nothing that she said made any difference nothing she was just always there but they made it a point to make her always there pay attention to the things like that um so i would say going back to mickey i feel like mickey mickey was more believable as the killer because he was naturally a part of the story like there was a reason why he was there he was in film class with them he's a film nut he's a film student he's almost kind of like randy <laughs> he's literally like the 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 evil twin of like a randy right he knows all the ins and outs he's obsessed with movies you know he knows all the plots you know he can make up his own sets of rules to it it's just weird saying the word mickey all over and over again my name is mickey um but mickey mickey's motivations i would say i actually kind of like his motivations they kind of touch on it again sort of but in a different way um in the later scream movies but i actually kind of like mickey's motivation i feel like it was wasted here because there were two killers with two completely different competing motivations i feel like if you're gonna have scream 2 what i thought would have been a better thing the movie in my opinion was already kind of in the grand scheme of all the Scream movies, I would probably put this at the bottom of my list just because there are so many plot points that are just kind of corny and just kind of there just to be there. Um, and they had the money. So it was kind of like, uh, we made a ton of money, a fuck ton of money with the first one. We're just going to have a second one. It, it did still add to the story, but I didn't feel like it added enough to be considered like great with the other ones that are floating around. Does that make sense? Um, but I, I would definitely say Mickey's motivation, I would have felt, actually, see, I feel like if they would have kept Mickey's motivation for Scream 5, like that would be good. Like, let's say if Scream 2, literally the killer was just Mrs. Loomis. Everything that was happening was all Mrs. Loomis. Like, remove Mickey from it. Or hell, keep Mickey in it or a character like Mickey. But let let the whole Mickey and the motivation of Mickey that should be the killer and the reveal and the motivation in scream five like that would be perfect especially for the the times you know what i mean like the natural progression it feels like that kind of like sits in with that whole the rules of the horror genre you know every single movie had like a different take on the killer and their motivations and i felt like that would have been like perfect actually well scream four's motivation would have been more in line with right now but scream five i feel scream five i feel like could be 
Mickey's motivation could have been good for like a Scream 5. So I'm very interested in what the killer's motivation or who the killer is going to be or why they decide to do this in Scream 5. Who knows? Um, so those were the other thing that kind of irritated me. And then the last thing that irritated me, I mean, it irritated the dog shit out of me about Scream 2 was that they killed Randy. I was so fucking pissed. I, and I was kind of hoping that Randy would be like a Dewey where he, he always just like gets stabbed like in the most horrible way, but he's always alive somehow. Um, but they killed Randy. And here's was the thing why, why Randy's death was so painful. I think I talked about this in the first one, but Randy was pretty much us. You know what I mean? Scream was made for people like us, people like me, people who, who watch a movie and then go home and watch 50 million YouTube reviews about that same movie, diving into the plot, listening to podcasts like this one about what they did wrong, what they did right. What does this scene mean? It was made for people like me. Randy was my representation on screen. He was the person that, that dissected everything about horror movies. This isn't supposed to be there. These are the rules. This is all of this he was us <laughs> again scream was made for the randys of the world and then they murdered him they just killed him they took my boy out like come on and i know that every movie you have to have especially with a movie with so many a horror movie that's coming back for multiple sequels you have to give the audience you can't just put random people continue to put random people in and just have them be death counts like there, there has to be some sort of risk to it. So if there's no risk of like you losing a main character, then it doesn't make this, it doesn't make the story good. It's just people being killed just to be, you know what I mean? It's just people dying just to die. You just have placeholders that are just there just to be knocked down. And that's kind of what Scream started to become later on in the series. But why Randy? Randy? Like I'd have rather you kill Dewey than Randy at this point randy really they killed randy those are the three things i hated about it three things i loved about it one sydney's natural progression so again she she's got caller id those are the things that we kind of like scream at the movie theater right she's got caller id you know she's timing calls she's tracing calls i felt like it was a natural progression there are some holes in the natural progression i understand that this was like a crazy fucked up thing that happened to her in the first film so I guess you could kind of relax like you, you still want to have your guard up she does change her phone number a lot because people called her with prank calls you know different she has caller ID but I just felt like if all of that shit would happen to me in Scream 1 not only would I not be like at like a regular college but I'd have like a personal bodyguard even if I couldn't afford all of that Mickey would have a gun okay <laughs> I would have a gun I mean let's let's be honest the killer and you don't think that I guess anything like that is going to happen maybe that's what it is you just don't think that anything crazy like that is going to happen again like this this is your crazy moment in your life this is as crazy as, as it's going to get think about the the most horrible thing that has happened to you so I guess you don't have the mindset of this is something that's probably going to be a theme in my life at that point I okay I'm convincing myself more I would have took a, a Taekwondo class or something. Just something extra. I just would have done one extra thing. I'd have had a gun. That would have been the one thing that I would have done differently. But I did like her natural progression. I still like the fact that she's smart. Um, she's thoughtful. She's a badass bitch. Like, she she never took, like, any karate class or anything. But you couldn't tell her that because she, she was chop kicking and, and roundhousing Mickey's ass all over the goddamn theater. Uh, the second thing that I liked about it is the perspectives of the killer. So even though I didn't necessarily 
like Bill, I mean, not, uh, not Billy, but Mrs. Loomis's motivations. Again, I really liked Mickey's motivation, like the motive, the whole, you know, I want to get caught. Like, I'm not trying to get away with this. I want to get caught because the trial, I'm going to be infamous and all this other stuff. I really, really like that because it is kind of, it's something that happens. Like there are times, there are people that become more infamous after something like that. I mean, think about like a Charles Manson, like people used to write him letters, you know, people are probably are still in like cults like following him worshiping him they write books about him that's what mickey wanted he wanted to be like the next ted bundy or gacy or he wanted to be up there with the big boys and that's something that that's i think is very interesting to kind of dive into that kind of mindset so i did kind of like mickey's perspective but the whole revenge thing with Mr. loomis eh, you know okay whatever you abandoned your son but okay let's let's avenge him now with just a bunch of serial killings and the weaving of the love story i did absolutely love that so from scream one to scream four again you're watching a horror movie this is a horror movie it's got some comedy elements to it there's some dark very dark comedy in there uh, but this is a horror movie and somehow they literally managed to weave in this love story and you actually see them i'm gonna give away some stuff but I, oh did i not say spoiler alert I, i'll put it in the description you should already know this by now but whatever um i'm gonna spoil some stuff for the other movies but we literally see the progression of gail and dewey meeting in the first one being irritated with each other being irritated with each other really kind of deciphering that they really like each other and care about each other to the point where they get married they actually get married like i remember like at when he proposed to her at the end of scream three and i was just like oh like i know i just watched like two and a half hours of people just getting murdered and stabbed and all that but gosh darn it love wins like that's literally how i felt about the whole gail and dewey storyline so i thought that was like i thought that was pretty talented of the of the screenwriters so kevin williamson you you did a good job of that you were able to weave some sort of love story in there and you know the direction that wes craven took like you were able to see that now i believed it i believe gail was able to soften up around dewey i believe that gail challenged dewey in order for him to step up and be more you know more of like a, a man than he always was I, I believed it so good job there so here's my overall rating when it comes to scream 2 um <laughs> i'm gonna give it a two out of five and this is the reason why i felt like in the grand scope of all the screens i feel like maybe this was like the weakest of all the movies that might be me there's some notable things that i, I feel like are in there um i feel like they didn't really flesh out any of the other characters like the hallie the derricks um the cc's i just feel like nothing got fleshed out the whole you know talking about blacks and cinema and then just completely still sticking to that whole tokenism thing i felt like that was kind of weak um you killed randy you killed randy you killed randy you automatically get a whole point down for killing randy if scream one completely changed the genre of horror and it got four out of five you're already at a three because you killed randy you're already at a three combine that with the motivation of the killers being so stupid you abandoned your son but now i gotta hire a serial killer to avenge his death like you didn't even care you you didn't care you left you left girl and then got a whole makeover just so you could come back and try to kill kill his ex-girlfriend who he tried to kill like your son was a psycho <laughs> 
but I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I'm going to give it a two out of five. There were some very corny moments. There's a, a moment where uh, Sydney's boyfriend like dances on top of tables and sings. I think I love you to her. Just, just, I didn't need that. There was a moment where the whole when Cece's getting killed in the house and she's running up and up and up the stairs and there's this huge I mean this sorority house is like the size of like the White House and I understand that there's a party going on but literally you the only person you the only person that did not go to the party like ain't nobody in the house it was just ridiculous like that whole kill scene and I guess they did add to the more elaborate deaths um because not only did she get stabbed she got thrown off the balcony um you know omar epps character yeah he got stabbed but he got stabbed through the cheek through a, a bathroom stall divider you know what i mean the whole jada pinkett smith that was very that was kind of crazy the fact that he was just killing her literally in public there was like a, a movie theater full of people and he just kept stabbing her and stabbing her like not even caring and everybody around them thought like oh this must be a part of the the screening oh huh well that's interesting they're really gone above and beyond to give us a great movie experience i don't know so anyway for me i'm gonna give it a two out of five and in comparison to the rest of the screen movies did i feel like it moved the story along absolutely did i feel like it was one of the better of the films absolutely not nah 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 <laughs> so i'm gonna definitely put this at the bottom of my list so i'm gonna give it a two out of five just for me for the overall feel of it the reveal of the killers and then the whole final fight scene was just it was just so corny like they were on a stage they were in a theater uh, apparently sydney's a theater major in college and the the stage is all set up for this like greek tragedy and of course they got all these props and she starts to use all of like the backstage equipment or whatever to like freak out mrs loomis like she you know there's fake fire there's she's cutting like the lights from above to fall on her it was just it was more elaborate but it, it was also ridiculous i i couldn't i couldn't it was just not believable to me at all but okay then she got oh there was one part where she got an avalanche of of fake rocks piled on her and it didn't kill her but it was just the fact that just just dumb <laughs> this is a two out of five um so some things that i would definitely give to you as a takeaway the best kill i feel like in here just to kind of play off of my boy james agenese i feel like the best kill was probably jada pinkett smith um just because nobody saw it coming it's happening literally like in front of everybody the whole point of like scream and ghost face is that he just slips in and sleep. he's a ghost he just slips in murders somebody and slips out before the cops ever get a hold of him or anything that's the other thing that's the one thing about this movie that doesn't have like that grounded in reality feel i guess that they can't because you know the movie has to happen but at this point like you have you actually have a serial killer and then a, a copycat serial killer like, why isn't the fbi involved you know what i mean like <laughs> they just keep having these bumbling you know movie cops that don't know anything like the the people that are involved are actually solving the crime like gail weathers is actually more she's more of the cop than like the actual cops are they don't show up to anything they're always late to everything and we're not talking about like you know ex 
you know military paratroopers or anything we're just talking about some some guy that goes to college is just like i want to be famous for killing people we're talking about some old lady that abandoned her her husband and her kid because her husband had an affair and they the fact that they're able to just like elude the police and the cops and everything time after time after time it's just ridiculous but um i would say the best kill in there is going to be jada like with all the sneaking around that ghostface does this one he was just like all out there like i'm just gonna let my freak my freak flag fly with this one just stabbing her to death everybody's around her they're watching her die like he's he has no remorse like he 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 has no chill there was no cap on Ghostface when it came to jada pinkett smith dying she literally had to crawl up on stage at a a, a screening screamed passed out and died like that whole opening scene was just crazy so i'm gonna have to give that one my best kill yeah i'm definitely gonna have to give that one my best kill but i think that the 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 story that they were trying to represent with this one um is just revenge and just the representation of the culture i'm i was trying to think back in 1997 because that's when this movie came out like exactly what was happening um scream does do a good job of um kind of using like society or life usually as like a motivation for the killers so of course revenge that's an easy one that's usually what happens in horror movies but I, I think that's why the whole reason why they went with like a mickey because that that's something that was like happening like in real life like those I feel like that was something that was happening in real life like those conversations about um you know are the movies um are, are the movies would drive violence you know when we watch a whole bunch of movies you know is that what is that what drives violence they were all these slasher movies that were coming out and you know critics were going crazy but the government was going crazy trying to censor everything um you know i remember when movie not, not movies but like games came out like more violent video games like things like grand theft auto or like halo or stuff like that when that stuff came out you know is it desensitizing kids to the point where you know they can't distinguish reality from fantasy is this going to cause more violence in our culture because people are now desensitized to it because they watch these these uh movies i remember when hip-hop you know really kind of hit like it's it's peak you know hip-hop was being blamed for you know all the violence and everything that was happening like on the west coast versus the east coast you know all this other stuff so i feel like mickey is the representation of that um and maybe i have to look back and really kind of really really kind of look at 1997 and see what was happening what was coming out then but i think maybe that's the the message that the filmmakers were trying to kind of slip in on us you know what i mean kind of like undercover with these like covert conversations between these film students in this random slasher movie they were really having like a very um they were having like a, a real kind of deep conversation for a minute in that scene and it really kind of culminated when you had the reveal and mickey kind of told you exactly why uh, i want people to blame the movies i want to be infamous for this like i want to get the fame and notoriety for being a notable serial killer the fact that that's that's your motivation and that's what propels you to like just murder your classmates and murder your friends is that you have this inert drive to just become infamous because you know there's something that could happen in our culture again we write books people study serial the fact that they kept charles manson alive they didn't put him on death row after all the crazy stuff he did just so they could study him and figure out like what's going on in your brain same thing with like i mean there are more movies about serial killers than there are about like 
like Gandhi and Rosa Parks you know what I mean because it's fascinating to us uh, there's more television shows think about like you know Hannibal um, you got Hannibal you got like a Dexter you know things that kind of get into those minds that um, that movie about Ted Bundy uh, crazy evil vile shockingly vile whatever it is like like literally we're enamored with this whole thing of how can you as a person like be so crazy or be so detached from reality that you you just go around murdering people or killing people just for no reason think about all the movies that we watch like texas chainsaw massacre is actually like based on like a real person who did not necessarily was running around with chainsaw going crazy but for the most part did very weird things like murdering people with their bodies and everything so it is I really did think that that was the kind of like the point of view that the filmmakers were trying to make they were trying to you know call out our obsession you know with serial killers and even with the horror and the slasher genre itself the fact that these movies were like the most popular at the time you know life usually does imitate art and usually the things that we make really important or that are popularized at a certain time in history kind of tells you something about what's happening in the real world right so you think about right now there's a lot of like dystopian stuff that's coming out now you know you have like movies like the hunger games came out the giver divergent the maze runner you got you know the handmaid's tale you know purge all these things where it's pretty much the world is still the world but something has happened to where the rules are completely different where you know a war broke out one political side won and now women are pretty much sex slaves in order to keep the the human race going they have no rights they they aren't allowed to read they aren't allowed to have jobs like this dystopian where the it's still grounded in reality but there's a twist on it and i think that's kind of indicative of what's happening right now with us where the world the political scope racial divide like everything is so different everything is changing so much you know that these are the things that we we naturally kind of gravitate to when it comes to our film and our entertainment and i think that was the same thing in 1997. those were the things that were kind of captivating audiences in uh uh, their attention at that time and I think they played on that a lot I just don't think they played with it enough so I would have rather they'd either stuck with the Mrs. Loomis revenge which I feel like that would have been like the only way that you could have done it like it it would have had to have been the second movie if you're going to use Mrs. Loomis and a basic revenge plot it would have had to have been the second one because it would have made no sense if it was the third one or the fourth one or the fifth one it would have had to have been back to back she already abandoned them. I mean, she came back like 20 years later and decided to try to kill Sydney. Like that definitely would have made any sense. Um, but I feel like like the Mickey thing, I feel like that actually would have been better in a later movie. I felt like they should have separated those two and focused more on that. I feel like that would have made this movie a lot better than a two out of five for me. But I've been talking enough. My voice is starting to crack. My tooth is starting to hurt again. Um, but tell me what you guys thought about this. I, again, I love the Scream series. I love what it did for the horror genre. Tell me what you think about Mickey's motivation. Tell me what you think about the black representation in it. What things did you like? What things did you did you not like? And did you agree with my overall rating of two out of five? Again, I would probably put this at the bottom of all the Scream movies. Definitely the bottom of the Scream movies. As far as like horror itself, nah. If I was comparing it to all horror movies like that have ever existed, I would probably say three out of five. 
but keeping in fact that scream you know is a thing and i want to kind of keep it in that universe i'm going to say two out of five for this one so do you agree with me or not and then just make sure that you keep coming back to the me and mike podcast um we've always got stuff here we're uploading stuff all the time i know i've been focusing a lot more on like film and all this other stuff i'm probably gonna do a lot more scary movies i don't know why that's literally all i've been watching lately like even before october that's all i've been watching so just prepare your spirit to hear a lot more about scary movies and other stuff i've been uploading some other stuff that i had actually recorded a long time ago so you're gonna see things like the the movie eli on netflix there's a a new podcast for that there's also one about the invitation which i really liked as well very slow burn but it's a really really good I like it. It's one of those good types of slow burns that builds the tension up little by little. Um, Some things I got coming in the pipeline. Scream 3, of course, is coming out soon. Scream 4, yes, I'm going to be doing that as well. We're going to talk a little bit about what I think is going to happen for Scream 5. I'm probably going to go back and watch all the paranormal activities. I think that's one that I want to kind of touch on as well. And I kind of want to go back and watch The Ring and Insidious too. I don't know why I've got a Hank. I, I feel like I really want to watch the ring. I never watched the third ring rings. Is there a fourth one? I hope not. Dear God. Cause the second one, Oh, that's another sequel. That was just trash ring two. No, terrible. Just awful. Just awful. But the first one, awesome. Um, but yeah, tell me what you guys think. Come back. Keep coming back to the podcast. Make sure you check out the blog, MickeyJKing.com. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on over there. We're kind of like refocusing and repackaging everything. But we've got a whole bunch of our business and entrepreneur services that are coming back. Make sure you check those out. There's going to be more movie reviews. There's going to be a lot more music reviews. So you guys email me. Let me know what you guys want to hear. MickeyJKing8 at gmail.com. If there's anything specific that you want to talk about. Otherwise, I'm probably going to ride this movie, film, TV train. <laughs> Lovecraft Country is coming soon. Don't, don't fret. There's a lot more content coming. Um, join the family as well. Go out, look at our Patreon. You know, contribute so we can keep more content like this pumping out for you. Um, but definitely hit us up. Join the family. Hit up our Patreon. Go look at the blog. MickeyJKing.com. And I'll see you guys next time. Bye.